Evolve Medical Education Podcasts. Hello, my name is Christina Wang and I'm a professor of ophthalmology at the Baylor College of Medicine. Recently, Evolve Medical Education held a virtual event in which three retina specialists discussed various aspects of geographic atrophy, also known as GA. I've worked to adapt that event into a podcast miniseries titled Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. This educational activity is supported by Iveric Bio. This is the third and final episode in our miniseries. If you want to listen to our first two episodes, go back in your podcast feed. Those episodes star Drs. Margaret Chang and Mark Barakat. The star of episode three of Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy is Dr. Charlie Wyckoff. Dr. Wyckoff practices with Retina Consultants of Texas and is part of the Houston Methodist Hospital Blanton Eye Institute. Dr. Wyckoff will discuss specific biomarkers associated with AMD in general and GA in particular, and will also review how visual disruption associated with GA affects patients' daily lives. A few times in this episode, Dr. Wyckoff references specific images. If you want to see those images, find the link in the episode notes to the video archive of this event. Well, that's enough for me. Let's send it over to Dr. Wyckoff. There are really three sections to this evening's presentation I'm going to give. The first is to talk about the importance of urgency and really talking about the specific biomarkers associated with progression of AMD into geographic atrophy or neovascular AMD, as well as the biomarkers associated with um, increased risks of rates of progression. So when we talk about phenotypes of macular degeneration, right, there are really three major phenotypes we need to think about. And first of all, AMD is, of course, the leading cause of blindness across the United States. As I tell my patients, AMD causes more vision loss than really everything else combined in this country. And it similarly causes a tremendous amount of vision loss in multiple um, developed countries around the world. The most important phenotype before you get to advanced AMD is, of course, intermediate dry AMD, as illustrated on the left. And this is really typified by drusen, the classic biomarker for intermediate dry AMD, shown both in the color fundus photograph as well as the cross-sectional OCTP scan. And then on the right, you see phenotypic images from my clinic um, of um, advanced AMD, the neovascular wet form of AMD on the top and the geographic atrophy or advanced dry form um, at the bottom. We know that around the world, about 186 million people are affected with AMD, and that's pro projected to increase to about 288 million by 2040. And within the current context, we believe that about 5 million patients around the world are affected by geographic atrophy currently. So these are images from a patient from my own clinic. These are near-infrared images, and this tells a, a fascinating clinical story. This is a patient I got to know very well over the last decade. In 2009, she was essentially um, uh, asymptomatic. She was in her early 70s. Um, she had 20-20 vision. If you really pressed her, she had some difficulty adapting when she went into dark rooms, for example, a restaurant, or she came in from outside after gardening for a while into her darker home. But otherwise, she was highly functioning. She could drive, she could read, she could play dominoes, um, and she could watch TV very easily. And then by, by 2013, 2016, but then particularly by 2019, you can see a change in her near-infrared pattern here. You can see that areas of geographic atrophy um, have become very obvious now by 2013. Those white, uh, those lighter scallop areas, they are now coalescing 
2016, at which time she's still 2020. And then by 2019, you can see that she's developed this ring of contiguous atrophy that's still preserving her fovea. So she's 2040, although she is severely visually impaired from her perspective. And while traditionally we have thought of this as the slowly progressive uh, form of AMD, and it is much slower progressing than most forms of X state of AMD, um, this patient would state loudly and clearly that this is rapidly progressing and is, is significantly impairing her visual um, life. And in 2019, she's 2040, but she can't drive, she can't read, and she has a lot of difficulty recognizing people that walk by because she has such a small zone of fixation in the center of her macula. We know that on average, the growth rate of geographic atrophy is between one and a half to about three millimeters squared per year. And once geographic atrophy is diagnosed, we know that there's a median time to central involvement of about two and a half years. We learned early from the AREDS um, uh, study of the NIH, which was a fantastic longitudinal um, prospective randomized trial, that there are specific biomarkers and phenotypes within both the affected eye and the fellow eye that help us predict the rate of development of advanced AMD. And in this um, uh, graph, we see that eyes with um, large soft drusen in one eye, as well as pigmentary changes in that eye, have about a 50% risk of developing advanced AMD over a five-year time period when they have fellow eye advanced AMD um, or fellow eye large soft erosion and pigmentary changes. Since the time of the AREDS study, we've learned a lot more about the specific biomarkers within a given eye or the fellow eye that can help predict the rate of GA progression, <clears throat> as well as the likelihood of GA development in the first place. And as shown on this slide, these are the phenotypes and biomarkers associated with an increased rate of GA progression once GA is present within a given eye, here called the affected eye. And the four major variables listed are larger baseline lesion size, multifocal lesions, and extrafoveal location um, of the uh, GA lesion. Really, that means non-foveal involvement, so outside of the center point of the fovea. And in these three situations, we know these GA lesions are most likely to progress most rapidly. And then when the multifocal zones of GA coalesce into a single large lesion, um, and especially when it involves the fovea, we know the growth rate of GA will typically slow down. The fourth one here listed is the pattern on fundus autofluorescence. For example, we know a dark pattern on fundus autofluorescence around the area of geographic atrophy um, is associated with a slower growth rate of the GA, whereas hyperfundus autofluorescence on the FAF imaging in the um, retina immediately adjacent to the area of GA is associated with a faster rate of progression. In particular, banded and diffuse patterns of that hyperfluorescence are associated with a faster rate of progression. We also know that the fellow eye is associated with different rates of GA progression in the um, affected eye, in particular patients with bilateral GI, GA and those with a history of faster rate of growth in the fellow eye are associated with an increased rate of growth in the affected eye. Looking at another study here, this was the Beaver Dam eye study. We learned that Drew's in area, and since then Drew's in volume 
we know to be associated with an increased risk of progression of geographic atrophy and an increased risk of developing geographic atrophy in the first place with larger volumes of druse and portending a higher risk of progression. We know that increased pigmentary changes, whether that's depigmentation or increased pigmentation or pigment migration are all associated with a higher rate of GA progression. And then we know that soft drusen compared to hard drusen and large drusen compared to small drusen are both also associated with a, a faster rate of GA progression. The two additional findings here um, to note on this slide are in the bottom right and the bottom center. Reticular pseudodrusen is a, is a specific biomarker that we'll talk about in the next section. And then a larger low luminance deficit. I think this is underappreciated in clinical practice, but right, this is one of the things that our patients complain of and note most. That is difficulty with contrast sensitivity or difficulty when they go from a lighted situation to a darker situation. And in prospective data sets, we know that a larger low luminance deficit at baseline, which essentially means you take normal lighting and you check a patient's visual acuity, and then you reduce the luminance um, to the patient's eye and you check their visual acuity again. And that delta, when that is larger, we know that the patients are more likely to have a more rapid rate of progression to advanced AMD and within advanced AMD when they already have geographic atrophy. Time for a short break. When we get back, Dr. Wyckoff will review some clinical examples of real-world GA and discuss how GA affects the lives of patients. Welcome back to Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. Dr. Charlie Wyckoff is about to discuss a few real-world cases of GA. He'll reference some imaging results in these cases, and those of you who want to view those specific images can do so by finding the link in the episode notes that point you to the video archive of this event. Okay, back to Dr. Wyckoff. The second section of three tonight is to talk about specific clinical examples. And there's two clinical examples I wanna discuss. The first here are reticular pseudodrusin. These are subretinal drusenoid deposits you can see them clearly here on these cross-sectional B scans on the right side of the slide. You'll also note on the left, a common finding is that these are often more prominent in the superior macula. Um, and the deposits here are importantly, they're subretinal. So they're above the RPE band. And this is in contrast to your typical drusen, your large soft drusen, for example, in which the deposits are below the RPE. So these are on the other side of the RPE. And these are more recently defined in retina. These are often associated with more substantial clinical symptoms for the patient. For example, again, contrast sensitivity challenges and also are associated with an increased rate of progression to advanced AMD among patients with intermediate dry AMD. The second clinical phenotype I wanted to briefly describe is shown on this slide here. And this is an example of a non-exudative MNV, also known as a non-exudative CNV. And what you'll see on these cross-sectional B scans on the right is a shallow, irregular, low-lying pigment epithelial detachment um, or a shallow PED. You can see that there's, that there's this um, hyper-reflective material um, between Brooks membrane and the overlying RPE band in an irregular pattern. And this represents a, a CNV, choroidal neovascular membrane that has grown up from the choroidal capillaries 
through Brooks membrane into the sub-RPE space. But critically, what you're not seeing on these scans is any evidence of exudation. There's no intraretinal fluid, there's no subretinal fluid, um, there's no hemorrhage. So this is a non-exudative CNV. Um, and this is an important clinical observation to make because these eyes we know have a substantially increased rate of development of wet AMD or exudative AMD over time. We know that eyes with findings like this on a structural OCT, this is referred to often as a double layer sign, have probably a 15 to 25% risk of progression to active exudative AMD or wet AMD over the course of the next year compared to less than 5% among eyes without these double layer signs or non-exudative MNV. Now, um, importantly, about 10 to 15% of eyes with intermediate dry AMD and geographic atrophy will have these zones of non-exudative lesions. So how do we identify these clinically? Well, the double layer sign shown here is useful clinically, but it's not very sensitive and it's not very specific. One way to identify them is to do more traditional angiography. Here's an image of a fluorescent angiogram on this eye at the top and an ICG um, uh, angiography at the bottom. And what you can see on the fluorescein is that critically there's no leakage of this lesion. And at the bottom, you can see on the ICG, there's the very typical reticular net-like pattern of, of, of um, um, a bright zone here on the ICG centrally outlining that area of non-exudative MNV in this eye. But I think more useful today is OCT angiography. This is a place where I have really found OCTA to be valuable to identify these areas of non-exudative CNV because I can warn the patients that they are increased risk of progression to wet AMD. I can follow them more carefully and more closely um, to make sure that if they do develop exudative AMD, that we treat them um, efficiently in order to optimize their vision uh, long-term. So the third and final section to cover tonight is to talk about functional outcomes and their um, impact, how they're impacted by geographic atrophy. The data on this slide was quite interesting the first time I saw it. <clears throat> what this is doing on this slide is comparing the level of visual impairment among patients with AMD with different levels of visual impairment to other um, substantial and meaningful um, medical outcomes that we think about in the practice of medicine. So for example, at the top of this uh, chart, you can see the patients with mild visual impairment 2020 to 2040 from AMD have a similar impairment to patients that are have had a myocardial infarction or asymptomatic or have had a myocardial infarction with residual angina. They've lost about 20% of their quality of life. But on the other extreme of this slide, at the bottom, outlined in red, you can see that patients with severe or very severe AMD with visual acuity of 2200 or worse or 2800 or worse, their quality of life impairment is between 50 and 60% reduced from baseline, which puts them at a very similar level of impairment to patients, for example, receiving home dialysis for kidney failure and also um, with those patients with uncontrolled pain due to advanced prostate cancer. And both of those are very significant medical events that I think many times ophthalmologists think are much more severe than vision loss from AMD. But in fact, if we listen to our patients, they're telling us that the visual impairment they're experiencing from AMD is having a profound 
um, impact on their visual function and their quality of life. And again, from their perspective, it's progressing quite rapidly. Here's a more general view of impairment that these patients are often experiencing. We know that these patients on average with geographic atrophy will exercise less. They have significantly less engagement with friends and family. They're significantly less likely to go out and be social for many reasons. Um, they feel isolated from their friends and family. They feel like they rely on others too much and that often keeps them isolated. They feel like they can't perform their typical activities of daily living that they enjoy, such as reading and doing simple tasks. For example, personal hygiene are often substantially impaired um, compared to when they did not have geographic atrophy. This slide further quantifies the proportion of patients with geographic atrophy that report impairments of activities of daily living. For example, we've seen that 100% of patients have impairment of reading, 75% of patients have impairment um, of driving, a large majority also have difficulty recognizing faces and performing routine household activities. We know that about 44% of patients have substantial fear of worsening vision and even going completely blind, and they are frustrated and, they're, and they find it very um, uh, irritating that they're unable to perform simple tasks around the house. The last slide is to discuss driving impairment. What's fascinating is that many of our patients with AMD still retain a driver's license, and they do so legally because they have visual acuity that qualifies to allow them to have a driver's license. But even those patients often have substantial impairments of their, of their driving ability to where they don't feel safe. And 50% of patients with GA that do have a driver's license say they don't feel safe driving during the day, and that's almost 90%. 88% of them say they don't feel confident driving at night. And then more generally, we know that 82% of patients with GA have reported worsening their vision over the past year, right? Again, the large majority of patients are noticing progressive visual decline um, over a relatively short period of time compared to 25% of controls. So in conclusion, um, I've enjoyed the discussion tonight. I've tried to make the point that geographic atrophy is relatively rapidly progressive from a patient perspective. It's not to say it's as rapidly progressive as wet AMD, but I think if you talk to these patients, you will get a feeling that they feel like it's progressing relatively rapidly and they're losing their ability to do the things that they have enjoyed doing for, for, for their life up to that point. Furthermore, we've seen from multiple studies um, that the impairment of these patients is substantial and is dramatic, um, is keeping them isolated and impairing their ability to perform multiple activities that they have been able to do for years. I look forward to continuing to moving this space forward with you, and I appreciate your attention here. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Wyckoff, for leading the conversation of this final episode of Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. I want to thank Iveric Bio as well, who supported this educational activity. Evolve will have more mini-series on retinal disease in the future, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you use. Thanks for joining me on this three-episode journey through geographic atrophy. For now, I'm Christina Wang.